Hi, I'm Daniel Wikis, and welcome to Music 101. Music 101 is created to empower music itself and legendary icons in the music industry. And today I have my special guest, American leading classical guitarist. No other than Mr. Jonathan Taylor. Thank you. Welcome to Music 101, Mr. Taylor. And can you please introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, I'm a classical guitarist with uh, many albums, about 32. I'm uh, uh, with the Hit Lab uh, slash Warner Brothers Distribution label. Uh, I've toured all over the world, uh, uh, played since I was a child, and uh, played in, in many adventures in many different countries. Uh, throughout not just uh, you would imagine uh, having Europe and North America and with the concert venues and auditoriums there but I played in very unusual places as well like the Amazon like Romania like the Philippines like India uh, you know on and on because uh, that's kind of off the beaten path so to speak I mean when you're pay playing in an auditorium the direct of Albert Hall in Madras, India. The Albert Hall, of course, is a auditorium in London. And uh, I mean, that's kind of a, a strange place <laughs> to play. <laughs> uh, or the Film Life Theater in Manila, Philippines. And uh, so I'm, I'm also uh, uh, not just, I've recorded all of the masterworks for the classical guitar, like one would expect, Recuerdos, Leanda, the Spanish masterworks, the uh, uh, Bach, so forth, the uh, Grand Overture by Giuliani, all these uh, masterpieces. But also I've done a lot of transcriptions as my background uh, was in arranging and composition. So I wrote a lot for orchestra, string quartet, brass quintet, etc., and used that uh, ranging knowledge to adapt to the classical guitar pieces that wouldn't and have never been adapted for that idiom. So I'm adding to the repertoire. An example of that, uh, many examples, but uh, for instance, uh, about uh, on the on the Guitar Chronicles album is uh, an adaptation of the score of uh, Wizard of Oz and of the Bond theme. So there's two film scores, not the complete film scores, but you know, selections or shall we say an arrangement that's more of a magnum opus rather than uh, a, a medley. For instance, I have an American medley one, two and three, which take 19th century folk songs Uh, from American um, repertoire. And so uh, I am, in a sense, a crossover artist. And when people ask me, what does that mean? I go, well, I'll give you an example. Uh, they promote me as an indie artist and not a classical, even though, of course, I have the big classical background. So uh, one probably knows that years ago, Uh, there was a country singer named Hank Williams. And this I'm explaining crossover. Uh, Hank Williams was strictly a country artist that had a small niche audience. But then along came and the country 
slash pop slash many different types of style feel uh, Glenn Campbell. And I go, well, that person, one cannot say he's country, and yet he is. And one cannot say he's a pop artist, and yet he is. So in other words, he expanded the reach of that music genre. And now 40 years later, uh, he's passed away now, of course, uh, the genre of country music is forever changed uh, because that's not the country music of grandpa that you're listening to. It's the, yeah, it's the country music of today. And so uh, kind of my mission is to bring a larger audience, not just the classical audiences, which I have played for for many a decade, but uh, bring a larger audience to the instrument. Congratulations, Mr. Taylor, for the achievement that you did. But can you define us what is a classical guitarist? One that is really classical guitar was brought into the 20th century by Andres Segovia. And uh, before that, in the 19th century, you had Tarrega uh, and many others, Fernando Sor, probably a little earlier than that. And uh, the classical guitar really is not like the electric guitar. The electric guitar is pretty much chords and lead lines above those chords. And the classical guitar is polyphonic. And that means to say that you're taking, you're playing uh, the two or three parts at the same time. You're not just playing a, a, a rock and roll lead above chords or playing the chords below it. It's using the resources of the guitar uh, in a different manner than what now we know as electric guitar. So Mr. Mr. Taylor, how did you first become interested in classical guitar? I saw Andre Segovia at the Dorothy Chandler Pavilion in Los Angeles and was very uh, entranced. And I said, my God, how can you do all those parts at one time? Uh, you know, usually when you, and this is not to denigrate electric guitars, but uh, usually you're listening to electric guitar, it's one string being played or just like the violin, that's true. And it's not that they're not playing more than that, but that is, you know, should we say the baseline? And so I was, um, just I couldn't believe you could play uh, Bach on the guitar and have it sound complete and not, you know, some uh, uh, low level playing. It was high level playing. So, Mr. Taylor, what influences or inspire your music? Uh, well, I listen to all types of music, uh, probably not rap. Uh, and uh, because that really is only dealing with the rhythmic element, not a harmony and melody. Uh, and I'm adapting, for instance, the next album probably that's coming out is an adaptation of psychedelic pieces adapted to this classical guitar. And uh, now... I have no idea what that's coming out now. I've got literally <laughs> 325 tracks that are already completed and, you know, that have been out in various album forms and that. But this one, uh, 
that's how I'm changing and adding to the repertoire and varying it. How do you approach the process of composing a new piece of music? Um, well, you know, that's a very complex question. So I usually answer it that um, people think it's a big deal to write for orchestra or string quartet. And I go, it's nothing compared to arranging or uh, adapting something to the classical guitar. The technical difficulties are, you know, incredibly uh, difficult. And uh, so to have that type of background that I do in arranging composition in that really is helpful into, let's say, I'm arranging. For instance, I arranged an Irving Berlin tune from the 1920s. So that's more of a jazz type tune. And then I'm arranging, like I mentioned, the film scores, the Bond themes. I've got two uh, Bond um, compositions that are taking from, you know, the films, as you, as you know. And they're both on that Guitar Chronicles album. I also am putting out uh, lessons there on my uh, new app. It's only about two months old. Uh, I have an app on Google Play and on Android, uh, excuse me, on uh, uh, Apple for iPhone. So if you were to just uh, go to Google Play or um, Apple and type in Jonathan Taylor, you'd see the app there. There's a lot of free stuff. It's, it's free to download. There's a member section that's only $40 a year, but there are many videos for instance i've in the last couple years here i've filmed and recorded about 180 performance videos very well said mr taylor so what are some challenges you face in your career as a composer i can't think of any <laughs> <laughs> i mean uh -huh. there is nothing so to the major minor system is now pretty much spent. Even though one can talk about style, Yervinsky used to say, ah, yes, style is some of all my defects. Uh, one can talk about style, but in terms of the permutations of the 12 note scale, meaning a chromatic scale, or the, um, uh, the major minor system, that pretty much has been fleshed out. Uh, Wagner broke that down with chromaticism that led to Dukofany with um, Schoenberg and Alban Berg uh, early in the century or maybe mid-century 40s. Uh, so to say compositions now within that realm or system are not, I love it that everybody's a singer songwriter, that's great. But in terms of what will be there in 200 years, it's not going to be like Debussy or Beethoven. Definitely. But before we go on, Mr. Taylor, I want to shout out to the people listening 
in Brazil. Obrigada, obrigado, Brazil, for listening to this podcast. Because in Sao Paulo, I got 57% audience share. Rio de Janeiro at 14%. Minas Geras at 7%. Rio Grande do Sul at 7%. Piranha at 7%. And last but not the least, Sarah at 7%. Thank you, Brazil, for supporting this podcast because this podcast is created to empower music itself, legendary icons in the music industry, and a lot more. And most especially, Mr. Jonathan Taylor. Now, I've played all over Brazil. It's funny you sure are shouting that out because I've played, I almost died in the Amazon on one concert tour. That's a story in itself that maybe we'll get to later. But I've played in Rio. I played in Brasilia, Belém, which is right there on the mouth of the... Uh, Belém is actually the Portuguese word for Bethlehem. And that wow. city is located on, uh, what should we say, an islet uh, of the Amazon River, which, of course, goes all the way up to Bolivia. But I know, uh, I know Brazil very, very well. And it plays there multiple times. It's a big country. A lot of people don't know that. I go, it's the same size as the United States. Just yes, like India definitely. is. Just like India is. India is an incredibly large country. You know, when you travel across India, as I have from like the top, let's say, Bombay, or they call it Mombasa now, down to Madras, I go, that's very far. And uh, yeah. Now, where are you from? I came from... I'm living in Canada, but I came from the island of the Philippines. My goodness. Okay. Well, you probably know the Film Life Theater there in downtown Manila. Yes. Near definitely. the Spanish Fort, you know, not mm -hmm. too far. And uh, the Manila, I stayed at the Manila Garden Hotel there uh, when I was touring. And maybe you know Redentor Romero, who was at, at least, let's say, 15 years ago, a very big, he's passed away now. And a very, very big figure uh, in the classical music scene in the Philippines. And I played at the Film Life Theater there when uh, an old acquaintance of mine, I'm not saying I know him well, he's passed away now, Luciano Pavarotti, we were on the same series together. Actually met him about four times. Met him first when he was uh, coming to America for his first um recital tour he was playing he was singing at royce hall in ucla and i was doing a concert at schoenberg hall at ucla and uh, he was uh wonderful and uh, i just happened to come across him as you know people that's how it works you go the forum places and my god all of a sudden boom you see somebody you met, you know, somewhere else. And, <laughs> yes. and I love the Philippines. It's an incredibly beautiful, wonderful country. Thank you, Mr. Taylor. Oh, yeah. Subic how Bay. and <laughs> Definitely. So how do you overcome creative blocks or moments of frustration? I don't have frustrations and I don't have creative blocks. I don't believe in frustrations. And the reason why is because... Uh, it is really up to oneself to quell those and change the boundaries, which we say when people feel those things, uh, I go, I do not feel that. I told a buddy of mine, his very prominent black artist uh, here in 
Southern California, and uh, he works with the Jackson family. And I, he, we were sitting out on a porch here about two, maybe three weeks ago. And I was saying, Shay, I don't feel frustration ever. And uh, so to answer your question directly, I, I don't feel those, honestly. Good job, Mr. Taylor. So how has music evolved over time? Um, I don't think it has changed in terms of, well, let me give you an example. Once the major minor system broke down, and we're talking at a very high classical level now, we're ta not talking about pop music, we're not talking about jazz, we're not talking about that, I'm talking about the development of uh, the systems that will last for hundreds of years that once Debussy, instead of using the dominant chord as a resolution to the tonic chord, and he started to parallel the dominant chord in the form of a ninth, I go, once that happened, he created that ethereal world that we all know Debussy and Ravel, of course, have in the French music. And I go, at that point, with the Wagnerian breakdown of, with chromaticism, uh, we see devolving or evolving, however you look at it, into dodecophony or 12-tone music. I go, at that point, um, really all the permutations of those systems had been realized. So that's on a very sophisticated level. Not that I don't love all pop and country and all that stuff. I mean, I'm not trying to uh, distance how enjoyable and fun it is and all that but I'm just looking at it from a more historical uh, perspective on the development of uh, composition. Very well said, Mr. Taylor. You mentioned Philippines, so I want to shout out to the, the people listening in uh, Metro Manila. I got 63% audience share and Calabar Zone at 38%. Thank you, Philippines, for supporting this podcast. And Mr. Taylor, how do you balance creati creativity with the technical aspect of composing music? You know, um, I'm doing more arranging now than composing because I'm adapting things. And uh, the pieces on the, the new Guitar Chronicles album, which is, you know, on all the streaming services, Spotify and um, Deezer and Apple, all the ones everyone knows. I go, well, is what you're trying to do is to arrange something that is complete. So remember, I'm playing one, two, or three parts, two to four parts when I'm playing those pieces, not one part. I'm the band. And so when you ask how do I uh in composition right now i'm not writing and i'm doing more ranging honestly so mr taylor what role does collaboration play in your work as right now i'm not collaborating with anyone whatsoever even though when i met with the label here about i don't know three months ago i guess four months ago that uh me to wanted to adapt some of the pieces i had adapted from quartet for and one of one of their singers i said go ahead you know that's fine with me uh but 
I have not collaborated now. Now, the last collaboration I did with was with the great Barbadian flautist, Hal Archer. We did two albums, and uh, I met him when I represented America in Barbados as a cultural specialist. I did master classes down there, did many concerts in Frank Collymore Hall for the Cropover Festival as well. Met, uh, um, who was the gentleman? That, not Bob Marley, Peter Tosh. And uh, at that time, uh, I met Hal, who was, uh, and I introduced him to his country, believe it or not. <laughs> he wasn't <laughs> well. Did, but we did. Uh, I had him come over here to California, Southern California, and we did uh, an album together. It was so many pieces, we divided into two albums. It was like, you know, 25 tracks or something or more. And uh, so that is the collaboration that I've done, you know, the most recent, which is not recent. So, Mr. Taylor, what do you think makes a piece of music successful? Good form, something to say, an understanding of the syntax. Uh, uh, okay, so let's look at it objectively in a cultural way. Western culture has really done something that other cultures didn't do. There's an old saying is that the uh, Chinese and Japanese, uh, the pentatonic scale, Da 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 is a is a which is used all the time by blues guitars that uh, pentatonic scale is really just repetitive and it, it is it noodles around those ideas where Western culture did something in literature and in music that had not been done before and what is that the form of exposition development and recapitulation. What does that mean? It means expose the themes, exposition, an A theme or a B theme. In the case of a novel, it may be expose your characters. Then develop those characters. Development meaning what? Well, if it's a novel, let's say, you know, I don't know, Oscar Wilde, picture Dorian Gray, uh, where the you discover, you know, this person made a deal with the, the devil and his painting is... Uh, decaying in the attic. They go, well, you're developing who this person is. And then at the end of the story or near recapitulation. And what does that mean? They go, well, it has gone on a journey and that journey changes you. And that form is in our culture in many, many ways. You can say I was using the literature idea or the story idea, but also those themes go through a development, let's say it's music, and they become more meaningful at the end of the piece because they have gone on a journey. And that journey, as what is it, Bernard Shaw said, uh, all our goings out, we shall come back home and know this place for the very first time. And so that form, when you ask what makes a good piece or you ask, What's, um, I go, well, that's the virtue and the contribution of Western, part of it, of Western society in music, in literature, in storytelling. And so 
I hope that answered your question. Very well said, Mr. Taylor. But before we go, and I'm inviting you to listen to my other podcast, Book 101 Review, on my third season. And um, thank you, Fitchpot, for being the number two best book podcast on the planet. Thank you so much. Last one more. My books are out. Not only one, but three volumes, people. Book 101, Volume 1, highly recommended. Those are my 100 episodes of my uh, first season. And I do it, I compile it as a book from Volume 1 to Volume 3. Please do grab a copy available available on Amazon and leading online bookstores worldwide. So please do listen. Book 101 review on my third season. Mr. Taylor, what are some of your musical goals or aspiration for the future? Um, you know, my musical goals right now are to get with the new label, the albums redistributed. I'm uh, always recording and filming new pieces all the time uh, develop my app which is as i said on google play and on apple you just type jonathan taylor in there and it's free to download and there's tons of free stuff membership is like 40 dollars a year and what am i trying to do i'm trying to bring beauty to the world i'm trying to bring whether it's uh, haven't done a lot of live performance recently just a few things because of obviously everyone knows about COVID the past few years. And uh, so doing lots of filming of uh, videos and lots of recording. And my goals are to continue doing that and to probably get back into touring. Good luck for your goals, Mr. Taylor. So how do you see the role of the composer changing in the future? Um. I don't. I don't. I don't. I think that I think that, uh, you know, when you when people get on the streaming services, much of that music is buried. That is the young artists that uh, don't have a label behind them or are trying to promote their stuff. I go, the problem is that you're kind of down in the mud there. You know, there's let's say, you know. A million people and you're down on the lower levels so yeah. I, I i do i see it uh changing i go who knows what the next genre will be not genre but who knows what the next uh way to consume music will be who knew it would be streaming i mean steve jobs changed things that put the ipod and put you know a thousand songs in your pocket he used to say or something like that and uh, so when you're running, you can play them. But before that, everything worked fine. CDs, tapes, vinyl. Yes. I don't know where it will go. I actually believe that it's just another way for the uh, industry to make money. And uh, yeah, because I don't see any, uh, I don't see any difference between having the CD or the streaming. Of course, it is convenient because it's right there on your phone. You know? I mean, I go into my app and, uh, you know, I load up the stuff for videos, either lessons or performance videos or talking about, I, I try to discuss the music 
you know, in great detail, whether it's stories about the Wizard of Oz, whether it's stories about, you know, Bach or Beethoven or, you know, whatever it is. And uh, so I don't know where it's going to go from here, if anywhere. Definitely. So, Mr. Taylor, what are some contemporary trends or movements in music that you find interrupting and exciting? This classics, the classics, the it all uh, boils down for me, and that's just personal. I can adapt. I won't say anything, but most things. For instance, on that uh, Guitar Chronicles albums, you've got the two Bond uh, works, you've got two American folk song works, you've got the Guitar Chronicles. I mean, excuse me, the um, uh, Wizard of Oz, you've got the uh, Bach, a Bach double. Uh, you've got many, uh, putting on the Ritz, uh, you've got many different styles and genres. And that's what I'm interested in doing with the guitar is expanding all that, which I already have. And I mean to just uh, keep doing that. Do I think that music will uh, change? Well, you know, it depends upon, it's been said that rap exists because they took music education out of many of the schools and the kids wanted to do their own, uh, wanted to be creative. And so they started doing the, you know, the with the records and that, <laughs> and, uh, and they started their own style of music even though there's no melody there's no harmony it's basically poetry or lyrics uh and, and social commentary uh with uh in spoken in rhythm so i go that genre may not have existed without that and you know maybe that's not true but there's an element not true 100 but there's an element of truth in that because they wanted to find a way to musically express themselves. And what will happen in the future with uh, new genres? We'll wait and see. Yes, let's wait and see, people. So what do you think technology has impacted the world of music? It is made available to everybody walk around with their phone and listen to what the hell they want. Definitely. Yeah, they've, they've been able to listen to anything technology, it's not just music. It's debatable whether one needs to go to college. It's a legitimate debate because you have probably 85 or 90% of all the information on any subject, whether it be engineering, physics, whatever it is. Now, the universities do put out, you know, good programs in terms of uh, doctors, lawyers, engineers, but many of the other subjects, you can learn it all on your own. Uh, you have the internet. There's absolutely, I listen to my, I love physics podcasts, literature podcasts, you know, lots of different subjects that I'm interested in. And I go, what do I need anything or anybody else for when I have that? Definitely. So what are the, some challenges 
that composer face in the music industry today? Um, substance. To have something to say and to say it. And I think that now the superficiality of celebrity is there, but there's, uh, there's no there there, or it's a nothing burger. Uh, there's no quality. There's no, you cannot, you cannot deny the corporealization of intelligence through sound that Bach created, for instance, or somebody as great as uh, Debussy, for example. And I go to express what they expressed. A person like that comes along and a lot of things now, I think it's garbage in, garbage out. And I don't mean that to denigrate anybody uh, or to be offensive to anybody. On the other hand, uh, you have to have something to say. Otherwise, it's just drivel. Definitely. So how, what is your comment about uh, our music industry evolved in the primetime TV, like American Idol, primetime TV that they're watching? Is it productive for the music industry? I think it's a productive to make money. And I think that people like to watch those shows. I don't watch them, but I'm a different thing. I mean, uh, when people talk to me about how much music do you listen to, I go, I'm so busy arranging or uh, learning a piece or filming or that, that I don't so much listen. And I go, remember, I've got decades of studying music, of listening to music, of, you know, going through uh, bef time. By the time I was 18, I had listened to about 80 operas on record. By the yeah. time I was 24, I was studying with the greatest uh, guitarists in the world, Christopher Parkening, Pepe Romero, Frederick Node, who was a great, um, not just raconteur, but he popularized, a, uh, he was on PBS and popularized a book called Playing Guitar and, and it brought a lot of people to the classical guitar. So, I mean, I was doing that. So, uh, I try to give you a complete answer, and I don't know if that's answered your question, but that's how I feel. Definitely. So how do you hope your music will be remembered or appreciated by future generations? That I brought be beauty to the world. Beauty. And, and that I had something to say that was worth saying. Very well said, Mr. Taylor and Mr. Jonathan Taylor. Thank you for your time. You're welcome, and we'll speak soon. Morigan, people. See you soon. Okay.